0: Father, you're good to us. We don't deserve your goodness. We don't deserve your grace, but you've shown us your grace through your son. As we look at Christmas yet again, many of us for a bunch of years, would you kindle afresh and anew a wonder and a worship for your love for us that you've shown us through the birth of your son? Would you do that work through the Spirit of God this morning, that our hearts might be moved, and that our feet and our words might be moved to share the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the Christmas story and how it reminds us of how you loved us, and how we matter that you would come near. We love you and thank you for time together to open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the course of the last year, there have been a lot of babies born at our church. Um, This is a great time to plug C3 Kids infant class that we need, so Jordan would appreciate that this morning. We have a lot of babies born. I thought about going through every child that was born this year, but I thought out of fear that I would miss one and be in trouble with a lot of moms, I might not do that. But one of the great joys of babies being born is for a church and for a people is when the baby is born, we want to know some things, don't we? When we want to see a picture of the child, we want to know the name of the child that you've been holding out on us for a long time out of fear that we may not like the name or something. We want to know how much the baby weighed. We want to know how long the baby was, what time it was born. I get these questions From my wife sometimes when I know things she doesn't know about a birth announcement. So there's kind of two forms of birth announcements. It's the initial one, which comes maybe through a text to friends and family or social media. And then there's the big one, right? If you're a traditionalist anyway, you're going to send a birth announcement on cardstock that has this beautiful picture of your little baby maybe sleeping. This is like a competition these days. It has its name. It has... The same information, a birth announcement to celebrate the joy of this child. I want to take you back to the birth announcement of all birth announcements this morning, one that was anticipated not for months, but for centuries. A birth announcement, God was sovereignly weaving the events of history together to come, as the Bible would say, in the fullness of time. A birth announcement that affects your day today and your eternity. And this birth announcement didn't come on card stock and, or social media or a text stream or just to friends and family. It came from a heavenly messenger. A heavenly messenger accompanied by thunderous worship from the armies of heaven. How does your birth announcement compare to that? I try. And yet it was told to... And received by not the most worthy, not the most noble, but the lowly, the humble, the unnoticed, the unseen working a night shift. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2 and we'll be in verses 8 through 20. This is the Christmas story, page 857 on a Bible next to you in a chair. And I want to show you how This morning, the good news of Christmas changes things. This is what the shepherds would do when they went to Bethlehem after they heard the message. Let us go see this thing that we've heard about. Last week, we look at the joy of Christmas and how it was anticipated. And today, we see joy revealed to a weary world, not so different than our world today. And I think this message in Luke 2, which is very familiar to you, if you know the Christmas story, it speaks into a bunch of things in our lives as well. It speaks into our fears, our despair, our sorrows, our feeling of exclusion, and most importantly, our guilt because of our sin. And then you're going to see a response. The response that we too ought to have ...to the good news of the Christmas message. Luke 2 will start in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field... ...keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them... ...and the glory of the Lord shone around them... ...and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you the good news of great joy... Pondering them in her heart. And when the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. As it had been told to them. See the good news of Christmas first. Turns your fear into reassurance. It turns fear into reassurance. Look back at verse 9 and 10. The angel comes to the shepherds. And not just an angel comes as a messenger to the shepherds, but the glory of God shown in the place. Listen, if an angel showed up in the middle of the night when you were taking your dog out in the middle of the night and an angel showed up, what do you think your response would be? I think it might be fear. This is what we see all the way through the Old Testament when an angel shows up to deliver a message every time you see fear. But there's not only an angel that shows up in this case, and this is very rare, by the way. You don't see this very often in Scripture. Not only does an angel show up, but you see the glory, verse 10, the glory of God show up that shone around the angel. I don't know about you, but I would have been scared as well. Great fear, the text says. There's another place in Scripture where you see this. There's not many places, but when you come to Mount Sinai, do you remember when the people go to Mount Sinai and you see Mount Sinai and smoke and clouds and the glory of the Lord is there and the people are like, hey, Moses, you can go up, but we're not going up there. It's a time of great fear. But look at the reassurance of the angel. The reassurance is what? Fear not. There's no reason for you to fear. Have you ever faced that? The, the sense from an authority or somebody that you see as a scary person or thing. Do you ever, have you ever been there? In that place where there a presence of a, an authority. And then they said something to you that kind of disarmed the situation. Junior in high school. First period English class, knock on the door. Assistant principal comes. You know what the assistant principals do, right, kids? They're the people who enforce. Assistant principal knocks on my English teacher's door. I need Seth Thornton. And then all eyes come on to me, and I'm thinking, what did I do? And so I walk out to the oohs and ahs of the other juniors students. And then in the hallway, there's a police officer, y'all. All now, I'm really scared. And I'm really thinking, okay, did I break any law? What, what do I do? And we began to walk through the corridor, and I just asked the obvious question Why, what are we doing? Just follow us, young man. Not mean, not mad. And we walk down the corridor, and I look out in the parking lot where we're heading, and there's another police officer at my truck. And there are dogs circling my truck. And we walk down to the parking lot, and I'm freaked out at this moment. But I turn around, and I look up the hill, and my dad's standing there because he teaches high school chemistry. And his hands are like this. I'm more scared now, way more scared now. As a parent, I don't know how that would feel. And the officers very calmly are saying, hey, do you have any drugs? This is like early 90s. Drugs were a thing. They're still a thing, but like... Don't do drugs. So the dogs are there. And I'm, I have no idea. I don't do drugs, kids. I didn't do drugs. And so they're asking me these questions very calmly and politely. And then one of the officers says, hey, do you think there might be just by chance uh, any gunpowder that, residue that might be in your truck for any reason? And I, and I didn't at first know what to say, but I thought, hey, if I tell him yes, that's got to be better than the drug situation. Because I grew up out in the middle of nowhere and we shot things. And sure enough, they found like a 22 cartridge in the bottom of my truck. And so the dogs were sniffing that. And they said, son, you may go. You're fine. I said, no, 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 you can't go yet. You need to come with me to my dad and tell him what you just said to me. And they did. Scary situation. Fearful situation. Great fear. Had no trust. Disarmed. Not by just what they found, but the the police officers and the way that they spoke to me were incredibly disarming. And they disarmed my dad as well. See, the good news of Christmas like that turns fear into reassurance. I had no reason to fear. And here's the thing about fear. There's healthy fear. The Bible speaks about healthy fear. Healthy fear of God, a reverence for God and who He is but it also speaks about unhealthy fear. See, unhealthy fear makes you extremely scared and untrusting. And you might not put this together with fear, but you feel very unloved in a situation that you're fearful because we see in 1 John that it says, perfect love cast out fear. And you know what we sang about a minute ago with Emmanuel, God with us? That disarms our fear of God because God... Came near. God God puts his love on display with his son and the coming of his son. And you know what that also tells us, even deeper than that? As Bo was talking about and singing about, we matter to God. We matter to a transcendent holy God that He would come near, that God would become a man. So you see this angel. And you see the glory of the Lord. And you see this great fear being disarmed by the angel. But listen, if you're a shepherd in the middle of the night and all this is happening, and the angel says, fear not, you probably want to know more. Like, okay, but tell me more. Why shouldn't I fear? And this is what we see in verse 10, the the next piece. Fear not. Why? Behold. Behold. Meaning, see it, I bring you good news of great joy. You see, the gospel news, this good news of Christmas, not only turns fear into reassurance, it turns despair and sorrow into hope and joy. And hear that again. The good news of Christmas turns your despair and sorrow into hope and joy angels, when angels show up, they bring a message. This is not a message of judgment. This is good news. I want you to think about the news that shows up on your newsreel every day. Is it mostly good news or is it not? It's mostly bad news. We're inundated every day with bad news. Inflation, Omicron, COVID, TikTok school shooting threats right here. Russia, Ukraine, homicide rates up, smash and grabs. And maybe on a personal note, you have these things happen where you go, you know what, that's like the 15th couple in the last 20 years that have gotten divorced. I never thought that would have happened. Bad news is all around us. That person has cancer. The hurt from relational conflict. We're surrounded by bad news. And bad news has a way of casting despair, does it not? Ask the people in the first century. These Jews that were waiting on Messiah, they were under the thumb of the Romans at every single move. They understand sorrow. They understand despair. But deeper still, there's a deeper sorrow. There's a deeper despair spiritually even than there is in this physical world. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about this kind of despair. It says this. It says that one time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, the people of God. And what does it say? It says you had no hope without God. Can I tell you that's just a general truth. Without God you have no hope. You are far off, but he has brought you near. How did he do that first? By coming near. By giving us His Son, Emmanuel, God with us, He came near for you and for me. And we've been brought near by Christ, the blood of Christ. See, there's no hope. This is a Christmas message, but there's no hope for you outside of Christ. And maybe some, even this Christmas season, are still looking for that hope. You're looking for that hope to be filled in all kinds of other ways. Maybe it's stuff. I don't know what it is, but all those things other than Christ... Here's the picture the Bible paints. They're cisterns that you pour water in and they hold no water. Christ is the only one who offers you hope. It's Christmas time. Do you guys, I don't know as a family, but if you drive around your neighborhood and you, and you look at Christmas lights or signs around you, two words, gullo House, right? If you, if you haven't been there, you need, to, you need to go there. This is a newer thing for me. We went this year as well. Kids are getting older not as impressed. I'm still impressed with the motorcycle, y'all. It's pretty amazing. I'm trying to figure out if it's real. Go low house, go Old Town Magnolia. And so we go and look at lights. In my neighborhood, we have, we have a new puppy. I don't know why. We have two rabbits, another aging dog, and we got a puppy. We, we got a yellow lab. And so we have to walk this thing, like a lot, so it doesn't eat things in our house and go nuts. And so it's been fun, actually, to take walks and see all the different lights and signs in our neighborhood. And there's all kinds of signs that you see as well. You see signs that say, Merry Christmas, ho, 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 joy, peace, glory to God in the highest. But I know of no house. I've never seen a house that puts up a sign and says, no hurt here, no despair here, no sorrow here. See, Christmas brings joy from sorrow. It brings hope out of despair. What are your hurts this Christmas season? What are your sorrows? In what ways are you despairing? See, there's a man of sorrows that was born to bring you hope and to bring you lasting joy. As we sang, to give you second birth. That's hope. That's joy. That's peace. That's joy. Christ. So, so far, the shepherd, he doesn't have to fear. They don't have to fear. And they know that there's good news that produces great joy. But if you're a shepherd and you're kind of just the common person, they were just seen as common people. They weren't upper crust. They were just the common people that nobody paid attention to. Maybe you're thinking, why all this for us? Why are you coming to me? I mean, if you really want a good marketing strategy, strategy to get this good news out to the whole world, if it's that much joy and that good of a new good news, why are you bringing this to me? Look at the next phrase in verse 10. "Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for who." You see it there? Just the Jews? Just the upper crust. Just the wealthy, just the powerful, just the Caesar, for all. You need to see that word, all people. You see, this good news of Christmas, the good news of Christmas turns outsiders into insiders. And maybe you think you're on the outside, you're not worthy. To look down later in the same passage in chapter 2 where you see Jesus go to the temple. You know the story with Anna and Simeon. Simeon, the prophet. Anna, the prophetess. And the Holy Spirit, God had told Simeon that he would see the consolation of Israel before he died. And in comes baby Jesus. And what do you see? Then he holds up this baby, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you had prepared in the presence of, how many people? All people. A light for revelation to the Jews? No. To the Gentiles as well, and for glory to your people Israel? No. This King, this Messiah, this Savior, this good news that brings joy out of sorrow, that brings hope out of despair is not just for a small group of people. It's for all. It's for you. It's for me. It's for your neighbor. It's for the person who lives in a completely different part of the county, state, the world. It's for all people. It's not just for the shepherd. It's not just for the lowly. It's also for people like Joseph of Arimathea, who buried King Jesus in his own tomb, the wealthy man. It's for all people. It's also for Nicodemus. It's also for Paul. It's also for Mary Magdalene, the woman at the well. Man born blind. The Message is for all. See, the good news of Christmas teaches us that God is not really a respecter of men at all. He's not partial. There's no pretenses with God. He actually just comes to save one kind of people. He comes to save one kind of people, and you're going, well, there's a lot of types of people. No, there's just one kind of people sinners in need of a Savior. That's the kind of people that Christ comes to save. Well, we've learned a lot. Shepherds, they don't have to fear. There's good news of great joy that's even to them. But we still don't know the content of the message. We still don't know what it is, this thing. What is this thing? Look at verse 11. This thing, there has been born for you, for you, a Savior who is Christ the Lord See, the good news of Christmas, most importantly, turns your guilt into forgiveness. The guilt that you have because of your sin that separates you from God has the potential to turn that into forgiveness by faith. Note here those words, Savior, Christ, Lord. You don't see those words together in a sentence anywhere in the scriptures, together. The idea of Savior is deliverer. The idea of Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. And the idea of Lord is king. Put that all together. The anointed king comes to deliver a people from their sins. That's the good news of Christmas. And it's interesting because in the Roman world in that day, do you know what they called the Caesar. You know what they called the leader of Rome? They called him the Savior. He was known as the Savior of Rome, who would deliver people, who was appointed, who was king. It's as if the angel is punking Rome right here. Because to the ears of the shepherds and the ears of the Jews and the ears of the Romans, when they would read this, they would see, no. The Savior is not in a palace in Rome. He's in a manger in Bethlehem. Wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Friend, has there, there has been born for you this morning, you need to know this, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How have you responded to the good news of Christmas? a Savior who can save you from your sins and deliver you from your sins, who came to die on a cross for you, who's the King, who wants all of your life, not just a little bit on Sunday morning, not just your home life, your work life, your thought life, what you say, what you write, He wants it all. He He gave it all and He wants it all. How have you responded? Well, what are the responses of the angels and the shepherds? Let's look at it. You're going, man, we spent all this time, and you still have like eight verses to go. No football on today. Maybe there is. No, there's, yeah, sure, whatever. Texans are terrible. Still. Look at the response. Verse 12 through 20. How do the angels respond to this? How do the shepherds respond to this good news? It says, and suddenly, verse 13, look at it. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel, one angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Listen, more angels show up. You know what a heavenly host is? I'm going to pass the Christmas IQ test here. You know what a heavenly host is? It's an army of angels. Right here in this moment, what we need to do is we need to take our, our like nativity sentiment that has all these cute little things in it, and we need to blow that up for a minute. I'm going to try to blow that up for, for you, just for a minute. This is an angel army. You know what the armies of God did? One angel in God's army in Second Kings was Sennacherib, the evil king who was coming in against the people of God. You know how many people, soldiers... One angel in God's army killed 185,000 troops, men. These are bad dudes, all right? These are the guys working out in the king's gym in heaven. They're ripped. They have swords. I'm trying to paint you a different picture, all right? They probably are baritones when they sing. So this isn't the picture of the cute little angel with the trumpet with the little... This is a different picture. Somebody needs to draw it. Ross, Tess, whoever. I need a new picture. I'll pay for it. That's not the picture. This is the picture. It's a completely different picture. Maybe that's in your mind. But the angels, the multitude, the angel army is singing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. You see the irony in that? Peace. These warriors are singing about peace that Christ would bring this little baby born in a manger, that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is the Savior, that he is the anointed one. You know, I said earlier that there's only a few times where you see an angel and the glory of God together in the scriptures. Well, there are also not many times where you see an angel and a multitude of angels together singing in Scripture. So you need to make note when it happens. You know when it happened first? It happened in creation. That's what the book of Job tells us, that a multitude of angels are praising God for the creation of the world. And then you see in the book of Daniel, you see a multitude of angels coming together in the predictive prophecy of the birth of Jesus, the coming Messiah. You see them worshiping. You see it here. You see it with a multitude of angels here at the birth of Jesus, and you see it one other place. You see it in Revelation chapter 5. In heaven, when there is joy in heaven, in the worship of the King Jesus who is overcome. So what's the response of the angels? It's clear. It's worship. It's wonder. But look at the shepherds. What do they do? This is really instructive for us as well. What do the shepherds do in response to the good news of Christmas coming? The shepherds, after the angels and the angel army went away, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. They go quickly and see Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the King. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph What else did they do? When they saw it, what did they do? What does it say? They made known what was told to them about the child. They spoke about the child. They gave testimony to the child. They bore witness. They worshiped. And they witnessed. And later you see in verse 19, Mary treasuring up all these things. Verse 20, the shepherds returned to their fields. And what do they do? They glorified and praised God. For all that they had heard and seen, as it been told to them. See, there's a response. There's a response to Christmas. And it's worship and wonder and witness. I wasn't around in the 60s. I missed the 60s. Maybe i just give sermon illustrations because I want to think about how young I am. But in the 60s, remember maybe history, there was the race for space. And we were kind of behind. We were behind the Soviets at the time. There's a race for space, and John F. Kennedy's goal was putting a man on the moon by the end of the 60s, and everyone seemed caught up in this thing, the hope of this, this, that a man from the U.S. would walk on the surface of the moon. A guy named Jack Needleman, who was one of the reporters, who covered the launch of Apollo 17 in 1972, he was at this night launch and it was a social, it began as a social occasion where there were picnic tables and food. And then the countdown began. And all eyes and cameras turned toward this 36-story high Atlas rocket that had three humans in it. And even the jaded reporters were overcome, as Needham reports. Reports, reporters were suddenly all blinded by this orange light which was just at the limit of what one could bear to look at. And the rocket rose slowly against this dark canopy of the night sky in total silence because it took a few seconds for the sound to actually make it from the rocket to them. And once the sound waves Striked. It washed over these reporters with a thunder that rattled their bones. And Needleman said this, you could practically hear jaws dropping. The rocket travels higher and higher, ignited in a spectacle of blue flame. And Needleman said, silence ensued among the press. The wise cracks died out. Men's eyes were filled with light. Their mouths were wide open. Their faces lit by the inner glow of sheer wonder. He said the whole demeanor of these hardened newspaper men was changed. They got up quietly and offered to help one another. They were kind and they were reverent. And he said this, wonder had done its work. Has wonder, the wonder of the good news of Christmas, done its work in you? What is your response to the Savior who is Christ the Lord? Is it wonder? Is it worship? Is it witness? See through your takeaway this morning is this. Let wonder and worship and witness be your response to the good news of Christmas this year. Because the good news of Christmas turns your fear into assurance. It turns your despair into hope. It turns your sorrow into joy. It turns the sense of feeling excluded into inclusion. And most importantly, it can turn your guilt because of your sin into forgiveness. Let's be a people who worship and witness this Christmas season. Let me pray.